25 years on the PGA Tour and a lifetime member of the PGA Tour and PGA of America. Jay Delsing brings you his perspective on one of the world's greatest games as a professional golfer and network broadcaster. It's the game that connects the pros and the average Joes. Brought to you by Whitmore Country Club. Golf with Jay Delsing is now on 101 ESPN. Good morning, St. Louis, and welcome to Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay Delsing. I'm here with my buddy and caddy, John Perlis. Good morning, Pearly May. Good morning, Jay. Good to be with you here. Well, you know, we've formatted the show like a round of golf. We like to call this first segment the On the Range segment, brought to you by 20 Minutes to Fitness. 20 minutes, 20 minutes to Fitness once a week. It works for me. Every week we like to start our uh, our show with our, our uh, conversation with Justin Hoagland, the um, PGA professional and city manager at Golf Tech. Let's take a listen to what Justin had to say. Last week we were on the G, uh, uh, which was GRIP, but the letter A, there's a couple A's in the acronym GASP that we used uh, to get golfers ready to swing the golf club. And one of the A's, first A is uh, alignment. And uh, I think most of your listeners are going to have a fair idea or already have a fair idea of what good alignment consists of. Uh, majority of players have, we find alignment issues, especially amateur players. We find that uh, a lot of them can't really feel where they're at in relationship to the target. You know, we talked a little bit of, in our prior segments um, that feel is sometimes not real to a player, but it's amazing even before players draw the golf club back, they don't really associate to the target nor the target line really well. And so when we get players on camera, uh, we can even see inside, even though there's not a distant target, um, just how off their target alignment is. So when we think of the word um, alignment, uh, what we're trying to do is is remember that there, what needs to be aligned to the target are the knees, hips, shoulders, arms, I even say the eyes too, and I know that sounds weird, but, and, and those aligned with the feet, and of course the feet relative to the target line. So sort of like a railroad track system, right? We set up the target line as a railroad track, and our body line is also a railroad track. And what, what a lot of players need to realize more is that the alignment that you're set up on affects the path of the golf club, both back and through crucial area so you know really a consistent golf swing uh consists of uh it has to be built on a proper uh, alignment uh, first and foremost well pearl we got one of my favorite tournaments to talk about a little bit about this week the arnold palmer invitational up in orlando oh man it just makes me miss arnold palmer i just think about uh the king and what he did for the game some of the things we were talking about it's it's hard to mention the name Arnold Palmer in that smile. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking earlier about there's a guy that truly loved the game, the sport. Tell a couple just little kind of stories about how he even lived out there just day to day. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what's so impressive about this guy. He loved the game so much, truly loved the game so much that he, well, hell, he started Bay Hill. That's his club. He started Bay Hill. And one of the things that he did that is unique to almost anywhere else is he started his own game. You know, so, hey, anybody in the club could play. Most of the guys were good lower handicaps, but anybody could play. And it was called the shootout. And it played every day 
at, I think, 1030. And any single day that AP was in Orlando, he played. He That's absolutely, awesome. And the That's other thing awesome. is, is the guy played golf every single day. Friggin' day. I mean, and and uh, so I got to play with him in the in the shootout. And so, what was the shootout like? I mean, was it a couple holes? What the nine no, holes? No, the shootout the was an eighteen eighteen okay. hole thing. You had bets within your group. You had uh, you had team bets. You had whatever kind of bets you wanted. You could play Arnold. You'd go up and say, "Hey, I'm going to play Arnold. I'd like to, Mr. Palmer. I'd like to play you for, you know, whatever." And he would. You would say yes. You would say yes. <laughs> I don't think he ever said no. And the neatest thing that was almost surreal for me as a younger player was, you know, then after the round. We have this on our show, our 19th hole, the real 19th hole at Bay Hill. You know, the king's sitting right there. Yeah. I mean, who does that? So how does that work? So you guys get done, let's say, you're a bunch of guys, so you start at 1030, you're done, I don't know what, 3, 4 o'clock, uh, guys are coming in or something in that ballpark, just sitting around having a couple of cocktails, talking, and there's a f- spill over to dinner, Is does he disappear? What what happened? Oh, he didn't disappear, but I mean, he, he you weren't going to go, hey, uh, let's go have dinner, AP, too. You know, yeah. he was on his own schedule, but I mean, to some of his closer friends, yeah, I mean, they had things like that. I, I remember one time, man, this is such a fun story. I played golf with him three days in a row. And, hill and it was i mean the first the first tee the first day i walked up and i could have i was just ready like i had had the best workout of my life i had all this adrenaline i'm like i can't believe i get to play at the king mm. and he said uh, young man you know why don't you go up and hit first bro i smashed one happened to go down the middle and i was like Phew, you know this is this is just fantastic well we played the entire day had I mean, I just looked at him. I mean, I didn't know if I should curtsy or genuflect. You know, it was just like royalty. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, you know our buddy Jim Deaton? Oh, yeah. Pro man. Man, I love the guy. He was the director of golf at Bay Hill Club for 15 or 20 years. One of the best PGA professionals I've ever met. He got it. He made the experience so fun. He's a, he's a rules really, expert. You really see cool. him, I think, in Ryder Cup now. That's, also, he's a heck of a player. I don't know if you, how much he's still, still playing, but at the, back in the day, that guy could play even well into his, yeah. his senior years. He's one of the world-renowned experts on the rules of golf. He's an officer in the PGA of America. You're absolutely right. He officiates in the uh, Ryder Cup all the time. He was actually the official when on the Jost, Justin Leonard uh, putt. At Brookline, when all hell broke loose, and he was over there trying to corral Sergio and Tom Lehman, and you know, I said, I said to him afterwards, we were having a pop or two, and I said, Pro Man, he goes, if I'm going to tell that story, you got to fill my glass up again. This is going to take a while. So, so anyway, Jim was Jim was there, and um, oh, just absolutely fantastic. We I got invited to a cocktail party. After the round of golf, after a couple at the 19th hole, and we had some dinner and went to this cocktail party. And I'll, I walk in there. I got my little blazer on, you know, like I always wear when I go out. Sure. Never. Never seen you in one, No, go ahead. try not to. That's why I tried to play golf. <laughs> anyway, so we go in. We went to this beautiful home right at Bay Hill, and there's a name tag sitting on the table. Name tags. Everybody's name tag. And I look over there. Arnold Palmer. So, you know, I may or may not have had a pop before this. And I said, hey, pro. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No, no. Oh, I did. I said, really? hey, pro, pro man. And he goes, <laughs> what do you, I go, what do you think? And he goes, go ahead. Oh, boy. I know. So I put Arnold Palmer's name on my jacket and just couldn't wait for the king to show up. Well, 
The king shows up. You're making me nervous telling the story. I've never heard this story. I got sweaty palms here. Yeah, don't. There's nothing dramatic that happens, but he comes in. You know, and he just looks like royalty. He's all, and he 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 looks at he goes, hey, J-, he looks at me, goes, looks down, and he says, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Well, Mr. Palmer, I, after playing with you today, some of the stories you told, I I thought it'd be really cool to go to a party as Arnold Palmer, and I was wondering if I could maybe pass for you tonight." And he just kind of had that wry grin on his face, and he said, "You better be careful." <laughs> <laughs> I took it right off. But, uh, oh, man, it was really fun. Just those are some of the experiences, you know, and just just to sit there and watch him interact. This guy was so authentic and so unlike any other top – Pearl, the word icon doesn't even do him justice, but the top of the top echelon of your sport, the founder, you know, the guy that, that really put you on the map – it, and you think, and I think of that for him. It just doesn't even do it justice. There's not. A, I can't think yeah. of a name big enough for him. And um, man, nobody was respected more by their peers. And um, uh, man, the corporate America that he do corporate America well. You know, golf course design. He's done a lot. Well, of he's golf one of the first guys to do a lot of that stuff in a big way. Anywhere from the private jet to the to the golf right. courses he built to the. To the sponsorship, you know, he had of uh, representing different companies, things yeah. like that. He was he was kind of the trailblazer, wasn't yeah. him? And uh, what was his agent, Mark McCormick? Is that well, that Mark McCormick? And I was just going to say he started with Mark McCormick and founded IMG, yeah. International Management Group. Yeah, you know that's that doesn't Big get time. mentioned very often. That's right. huge. He's also uh, founded three hospitals. His his golf tournament's been going on for thirty eight years. Raised untold millions of dollars for sick kids. He's got um, uh, Congressional Medal of Honor. Uh, just when when I had the opportunity to interview him, whew, probably how long has Mr. Palmer been passed away now? Probably almost four years, uh, something so, like I'm that, so bad five years. It, yeah. yeah, somewhere in there. I got him about a month before he passed I away. Remember. I looked remember. Looked like hell. Just looked yeah. like hell. But, gosh, he was so gracious and so cool and still had that twinkle in his eye, yeah. you know, that is was so unmistakably him. And uh, just felt so privileged. I sent him an, a handwritten note and said, Mr. Palmer, I know you're coming in. He was the first recipient, St. Louis, this is a cool story, the first recipient of the Stan Musial Award. Now, little known, he and Stan grew up 50, 60 miles apart in Pennsylvania. And they were friends. And two of the biggest, you know, icons in their sport. And I said to him, Mr. Palmer, you know, I'd really like to try to get into some of this media, do, do a little... TV, some radio, things like that. And I know you're going to be in town. If it's not too much trouble, do you think – and he just wrote me back, said, yeah, no problem at all, Jay. I'd love to have you come in there. And uh, when I saw him, I almost died, though. It yes. was so – you know, his clothes were too big. He just was frail, but he still had that that gleam in his eye. He was still going. He loved it, and he wanted to be part of it. Yep, yep. Yeah. So what about the golf course? Talk about the golf course a little bit. The golf course um, has been redone, I don't know how many times, countless times. Um, I would say the golf course is uh, not one of my favorites, but the event was one of my favorites. It was so well attended by the Orlando community. Uh, the golf course was um, um, most of the time in good condition, let's say. Not very good condition, not like Muirfield, but very but good condition. And um, 
tough, bro. Some really tough holes. I can remember coming down trying to hit the 17th green. It's only like a 200-yard par three, but man, you know the way they have that flag stick over there, and they um, one of the one of the things that I remember that event too. My rookie year on tour, I'm playing there. Uh, made the cut playing on Sunday. We have this weird thing that if you make a hole in one on the 17th, you get a million dollars. You get a million dollars per. We're playing for two hundred thousand sure, dollars purse, big time. right? Yep. And I'm thinking, a hole in one for hitting the 17th. They ought to give me a million bucks for hitting the green in one. Forget about the <laughs> hole. Well, playing about two groups in front of me. Don Pooley swishes it on 17. Wow. Yeah. And uh, that's yeah. an intimidating tee shot. Oh. I mean, you say just. I can remember Mike Nicolette and Greg Norman. I think it was either playoff or they're coming down the stretch. I can't remember which one. It doesn't matter. They were standing there back in the day, I think, hitting one and two irons or two and three irons. You stand up on that tee and, you know, between the water, the bunker's all over the place. The, the green isn't overly receptive. Normally the wind's blowing a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. I can't for you a couple times out there. I like the course. Jay, what about in the early days? Was that kind of oh, that's a fantastic course, and it's kind of in, in the upper echelon. And then through the years, there's so many other great courses built. Is that kind of how it maybe took some steps back, or or was it never? I thought early on it was kind of it, one of the places. It was pro, and what happened is it consistently and repeatedly got changed. Mm. And you know that never happens to great golf courses. You tweak them, tiny tweaks. This was I was going to say, there's holes. tweaks to a lot of them, but you're right. saying there was major talking, changes. Oh, yeah, there. the first hole used to be a par five. They changed it to a par four, changed the layout of the hole. You know, they built, they've rebuilt and built the 16th green, I don't know how many times. 16 was always a par four, now it's a par five. Um, so that just doesn't happen that often. Yeah. I think uh, Mr. Palmer was um, kind of got in the middle of the, the throes of his uh, golf course design and was not experimenting, but was just he, he was so passionate about it. He wanted to keep making it better. The the fourth hole was a par four. It's a par five. It's a this. We move in the green. We're putting the green. You know, so it, it had a lot of flux to it. And so it really, to me, kind of lost its identity. But what it did not lose is it was an invitational in the day, Pearl. And you know what the invitationals were like. Small field, big purses, yeah. hard to get in. And then it's got Arnold Palmer's. And then it's got Arnold Palmer's name on it. And you go... But fun to watch on TV, big-time fun. You come down 16, 17, and 18, big swings. We've seen Eagles on 18. We've seen big numbers on 18. Robert Gammes. Yeah, yep. absolutely. You've seen we Eagles have. all day long or the occasional bogey when Tiger whips it out of bounds. So I think that's one of the fun things is coming down the stretch. You can have four or five-stroke swing. Yeah, there's no question about that. And I've got to come when we come back from a break because I know we have to take a break. There's a great story with Fuzzy Zeller that i got to tell you on the 18th. It's in. And also I'll tell you a little Hale Irwin, Johnny Miller story as well. But um, that's going to do it for the On the Range segment. Um, we got to take a short break. This is Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Doster, Olam, and Boyle LLC are a proud sponsor of Golf with Jay Delsing here on 101 ESPN. The firm was started in January 2015 by Mike Doster, Jess Olam, and John Boyle, three veterans of the St. Louis real estate, banking, commercial, and corporate legal landscape. The firm was founded on the shared view that success should be measured by client and community satisfaction, not profits for partner. The firm's focus is on business, real estate, corporate finance and restructuring, and succession planning. 
Since its founding in 2015, Doster, Olam, and Boyle have been involved in real estate, business, and corporate transactions with a combined value in excess of over $1 billion. For decades, Doster, Olam, and Boyle lawyers have been recognized as leaders in their practice areas by their peers. Doster, Olam, and Boyle, LLC. Extraordinary talent, ordinary people. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. I want to introduce you to Joe Sheezer at USA Mortgage. When I bought a new house a few years back, Joe provided me with a pre-approval letter that changed my buying experience. The real estate agents and the seller treated me as if I was a cash buyer. The sale went smoothly. I love my new digs and want to thank Joe and his team for giving me the highest quality of service and attention possible. Joe has been a loan officer for 25 years. He is a top producer for USA Mortgage and a true expert in the field. USA Mortgage is employee-owned and locally operated, and all processing, underwriting, and closings take place right here in St. Louis. Call Joe at 314-628-2015, and Joe's NMLS number is 281113. Urban Chestnut Brewing Company is proud to be an official sponsor of 101 ESPN's newest show, Golf with our friend Jay Delsing. Just like Jay, Urban Chestnut is born right here in St. Louis. With three local brewing and restaurant locations, you won't travel far to sample straight from the source. If you're heading out to the links this weekend or if you're just in the mood for a classic German-style beer, grab a four-pack of our fresh, refreshing Zwickel Bavarian Lager wherever craft beers are sold. Urban Chestnut Brewing Company, St. Louis, Missouri. Prost! You're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. You can find Jay online at jdelsinggolf.com. Welcome back. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm Jay. Got John here with me. And uh, we're on the front nine segment, Pearl. Well, we're going to read uh, this week's email. It comes from Guy. Jay, love the show, especially the 19th hole segments. I feel like it is really helping us hacks out there. Should I continue buying a new driver every other year? Well, the club manufacturers would like him to, but uh, I'm glad he's asking you. The companies keep coming out with the latest this or that, and it confuses me. Can you help? Well, first of all, Guy, thanks for the question. Also, let me tell you that um, when we read your question on air this week, you get a complimentary golf or two at Gateway National Golf Club, compliments of Walters Golf Management. So, Guy, here's the thing. <laughs> This practice of releasing the latest and greatest, as I call it, started with the Callaway company and Eli Callaway, who was a master marketer. Don't forget that, master marketer, okay? Um, And they came out with the Callaway Big Bertha series, the great Big Bertha, the greatest, biggest Bertha, Bertha's bigger sister who's bigger than, you know, and they said they came out with a bunch of, of different stuff, and they did it about every six or eight weeks. And they forced the hand of the other manufacturers. So all of a sudden, there's this big scramble when they used to make changes every, I don't know, two, three, four years. Right. Now, all of a sudden, it's this race that every year, that type of thing is, uh, things are happening. Right. And so here's what's happened from behind the scenes. This took technology and forced technology into this realm in a big way. It was already coming, Pearl. The technology piece was already coming. But this, where you're constantly trying to tweak and change, it, it made these guys' R&D departments just explode. It also gave them the money to go out and do that type of R&D. I can remember at one point, I think the number was $80 million that they, that they uh, spent in marketing at some point. It was craziness. But uh, they also sell the drivers for $400 a pop, and they weren't costing them $100 to make. 
and that 400 long gone now because yep. they're five, six, seven hundred dollars. So, to get to your question, uh, Guy, no, don't you do not need to buy a new driver every year, depending on your age, depending on your skill set, your power. If things are changing in your game and you see, you know, um, maybe some. Bigger displays of power, you're hitting the ball. I don't know, maybe you're a young man and you're just new to the game and you start tweaking the game and your swing a little bit and you decide, oh, my gosh, maybe I'm, you know, then I would say consider it. But nothing else. Go to your local driving range. One of the coolest things, Pearl, about the technology, we haven't even talked ever about this, ever no one talk about this, but back in the day when I wanted McGregor or Cleveland or somebody to make me up a new driver, it was a 24-hour to 48-hour process. We had to get a shaft. We had to whip it. We had to epoxy it. It had to be pinned. All of those things with the wooden-headed stuff. The cool thing now is it's got a wrench that unloosens a screw in the bottom, and in three clicks, you pull the shaft out. And so, Guy, you may want to just consider trying a different shaft, depending on how much speed you have. Great, your, great advice. Your local pro may be able to help you there. And, I mean, those it's so cool, Pearl. I mean— you watch guys on the range, and the, and the reps and stuff will walk up with half a dozen shafts and a wrench in their hand and, you know, maybe a couple heads. And these combinations that you can put together is interesting and, and convenient. One thing i got to mention, folks, and take a listen to this and try this. Do not always—I know everybody wants to hit the ball further. I know everybody wants to But do not always go to less loft on your driver. Guys on tour— are going now to more loft and hitting the ball further. One reason is, I don't know the science behind this, but I know it's true because I've heard enough of the of the smart uh, guys that are in the R&D tell me that the loft that, that your driver says on the bottom of your club is not necessarily the effective loft of that golf club. Meaning, it might say 9 degrees on the bottom, it may not play to nine degrees. Mm-hmm. And they're all different. One of the things, Pearl, you, you've gone through this with me before, always trying to find a viable backup. I was always trying to – and I, I, I remember when I broke the, the Callaway driver, cracked the face of the Callaway driver, I promise you I hit 75 of those things and couldn't find one and finally got off the birth, got off the Callaway product because they're just not the same. So you, you really got to consider that. So don't necessarily – think that, oh, my gosh, I'm going to throw 10 degrees aloft on here my ball's going That's not the case. That's not right. the case. And depending on your swing, a lot of times launching that ball a little higher with this modern-day equipment can really help. Great advice. I think he's got something to go by. Good luck, Guy. Go get him, Guy. Okay, so got to go back to Bay Hill. Okay. Got to tell you this story. Two, two, two really fun stories. Which one should I go first, the uh, the fuzzy one or should go I fuzzy. take the go fuzzy? fuzzy? Okay, so... I'm probably on tour probably 10 years, 12 years. Uh, play, for whatever reason, I've played 100 rounds of golf with Fuzzy. Love him. Great, fun, relaxed, easygoing guy to play with. I'm pl- coming down the 18th hole at Bay Hill. Nasty, nasty spring day down there. Wind's blowing 35 to 40. Cold, probably 45 degrees. I've all bundled up. Now, if, folks, I don't know if you know the way the, the, config, the holes configure, but if you go down 18... You know, they've all seen that kind of banana-shaped lake there, and the, 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 the green sits behind it. Well, the 16th tee hits you up right about the middle of where you typically drive on 18, okay? There's a little hedge, row hedge, uh, light bushes in between there. But uh, it's relatively close proximity that if you, you know, 
I obviously wasn't in the fairway, in the right rough. Got <laughs> so my you're closer. With me. You're actually closer. I was actually to closer to the 60 Got tee, which, Got you know. That sets it up. Now we know where we, you are. Yeah, so there we go. And the flag stick is located on the front left portion of the green, which is, the, in my opinion, the hardest bit because you can't take the water out of play. It's the hardest hole location Very for scary. sure. And Especially be, coming out of the, out of the uh, rough. Right and rough. And the wind is blowing somewhere between 30 and 40 miles into me from my left. The worst win for a, a right-handed golfer, period. And with the lake on the right, you know, this ball is probably going to go someplace <laughs> left, right? Okay, so I've only got about 150 or 60 yards, but the wind's blowing so hard, I got a five iron out. And oh. I'm going to choke up on this thing a little bit. And I got my target. It's a little bit left of that flag stick and maybe over towards that left bunker a little bit over there, Pearl, thinking, you know, I'm keeping this ball out of the water. Because you're playing good, you said. You playing, had, I was had playing well. Had a, had a good tournament yep. going on. I think it was Saturday or something. And I, I take this little choked-up version, this little British Open little knockdown thing. And, Pearl, this ball comes out straight as a string directly at the flagstick underneath the wind. And it just – I just, it's hard not to smile. Yeah. Where I'm, I'm a little surprised from looking at it. And it's just – and it goes – it just nestles up right next to the hole. And I kind of walk over to my caddy, and he's like, oh, man, what a great shot. And I hear this, nice push, Delsing. And I look over, and Fuzzy's peeking through the bushes over here. He goes, you had to push that shot 15 or 20 yards. And I go, what are you talking about, Fuzz? I'm going right at the flag. But, uh, oh, man, really funny. And there there might have been some other words or yeah. phrases added in leave there that, that we're going to leave, leave out. them out yep. because we want to stay on the air and keep this a family show. But terrific. And uh, the other story could be. Four shows long, and I'll, I'll, I'll try not to do this, but my fourth tournament on tour, 1985, I make the cut. I'm paired on Sunday with Johnny Miller and Hale Irwin. Perfect. Perfect. So I'm in my hotel room, and my brother-in-law, who is a complete golf nut, says, I'm looking at the lifetime career money on the PGA Tour, and I see That's you something got, your brother-in-law yeah, would talk course, about. Of course. Yep. Go, he goes, you got about 12000 bucks, which was a great start back then. I mean, and he goes, uh, for at least I thought it was. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I know, right? In your mind, you were I doing know, good. I was doing great. And anyway, number four on the all-time list, Johnny Miller. Number 11 on the all-time list, Hale Irwin. And I'm like, really appreciate you bringing that up. Right? So we get out there. First hole, par five at the time. And I'm just excited to be playing the tour. Made another cut. Got to make some money. Get out there, Pearl. Wing this thing down the fairway, hit a two iron on the first green. It's bar five. You know, and I'm thinking Johnny Miller is the strangest guy I ever played golf with. He's got his collar popped, his his pants pulled up uncomfortably high. He's just, it's a strange look. And I got this 50, 60, 80 foot putt on the first hole. And it's over three elephants, Pearl, and it's unmakeable. And I make it. Wow. I make it. Nice. And nice I get start. this stink eye from Hale Irwin. He wasn't happy for you? He's pissed. Like, uh, his shoulders drop. He's pissed. Yeah. I'm like, what? Anyway, go to the next hole, make a par. So I'm still on the tee. And the third hole is that hole that wraps around the pond. Uh, and I, I couldn't hit that. You know, Pearl, I needed a Ouija board and the stars in line to hit that fairway with my driver. So I didn't hit driver. I just laid it up down the left and went in with a much longer club. You know, nowadays I'd go down there and hit driver wedge because mm-hmm. I could hit that fairway. Back then, couldn't hit, I could hit driver wedge. I could hit driver and two drops out of the water and things like that. So I lay it up down there, and I've got, you know, 175, 80 yards. Flag sticks in the back left, terrible angle. No, And anyway, so I hit this six iron, and I tug it just a little bit. And I'm like, come on, baby, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
drops in the water. I turn to my caddy, and six inches in front of my face is Hale Irwin. And what does he say? Didn't cross anything. Your ball never crossed the hazard. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you know me pretty well. I'm a pretty level-headed guy. No, I'm not. Not at this time. I'm pissed. I'm like, what? Are you, like, I'm going to cheat? I'm like, what are you insinuating? You know, I'm like, so drop it, double bogey. Did, he get, the, did he get the Del- Delsing Harry eyeball? Oh. For sure. So Listen, <laughs> as you could only imagine, there was one thing that was going to happen that day. I was kicking Hale's ass. I don't know what that meant. You know, 77 to 78, mm-hmm. I don't know what that meant. But I had a personal, it was it was on. It was on. So let's just fast forward to the 18th hole. I'll leave out all the other details. <laughs> we'll have to meet at a happy hour somewhere, folks, and I'll tell you the rest of it. But we get to 18, and I got a comfortable three-shot lead over here. <laughs> I'm comfortable. You turned the tournament into a Delsing oh, versus Irwin. Okay, I, perfect. Exactly. All right. By the way, we're... We're in 40th or 50th place. Sure, we're not making any money. We're not even making make $1,000. We can't even pay off. Our, well, I'm staying at the Red Roof, so I could pay my hotel. But we get out there in the 18th fairway, and Hale's got that fairway wood in. from the, And, and um, I'm standing up there, and I see, I hear this, you know, you know, back in the day, Pearl, you hit those fairway woods a little thin. That blotta had that sound. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, can't wait to look up. This ball's not flying very well. And I look up, and it's a quail. And it's just leaking oil, leaking oil, leaking oil over to the right. You know, we're on 18 at Bay Hill. What's over to the right, Pearl? Water. Yes, sir. Oh, man, splash. And I'm thinking, I wonder if Hale knows his ball didn't cross hazard. So I'm no, starting you, you, to walk. You, got the, you were starting, a bigger man than that, weren't I, you? I was starting. Let me. This is my show, my story. <laughs> I'm starting to walk over. And I'm like, oh, he's dropping another ball. I don't want to. And guess what, bro? You know what a twin is? It is the exact same shot that, he, that it right? just it went, and I went, oh, that's not going to cover. That's not crossing the hazard either. And I just walked back to my caddy, and he goes, the karma got him. Golf coming down, so I got up there to just to make sure I didn't fill up the leg pearl. I ended in the the middle of the green and hit a duck hook to the back left of the green. I could two putt from 80 feet, keep my ball dry. But um, oh man, it's interesting. You know, 23 years old. That story just—I'll just never forget it. Hmm. It was like you know, and and I remember that day. Johnny Miller's caddy, like, big time in me, like, stepping, stepping in my line, not giving me enough room to play. And I finally, he was walking off, like, the second or third green, and I put my putter in the, in the back pocket of his slacks and pulled him back and said, and I just said slacks, didn't I? It almost makes me sound very old. But anyway, put him, put him in his pants, and I pulled it back, and I said, have I got a problem with you? Am I going to have a problem with you today? And he goes, what? And I go, don't give me what, because, Pearl, you know what happens out there with all these egos and all this testosterone. If you don't stand up for yourself, they will snowplow you under. I don't think people realize that. I don't think you see that on TV. Not, not no, these days. You think, you think it's different with these guys? Is the same thing going on like that out there? I don't know. It almost seems like these, some, these young players are sweeter. And, not, you know, these guys were not. You know, if we can yeah. talk about that another time. You got to make a little uh, uh, segment transition here, but we'll talk about that another time. I've got some uh, some theories on that. Okay, well let's get back. Well, let's get a man. That was a quick front nine. Good yeah. playing. We played well that front nine. We're going to take a pause for a moment so we can hear from some of the folks that sponsor us here at Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. 
Are you looking for a golf training facility and PGA pros to help you out year-round? Make sure you get to Golf Tech. They've been in St. Louis since 2007 and have three convenient locations to serve you. They've got state-of-the-art video equipment, and you can take your lesson home with you and replay it as much as you'd like. Start with a golf swing evaluation for only $125 and let a Golf Tech coach customize a game plan for you. 314-721-GOLF. You can find them online as well, golftech.com St. Louis. Play better. Swing better. Golf Tech. I got a big shout-out and a thank you to Whitmore Country Club for supporting my golf show. I don't know if you know, Whitmore Country Club has 72 holes of golf. There's a 24-hour fitness center and has an extremely large pool complex. This is a family-friendly country club to belong to. There's a kids' club in the main clubhouse right near the fitness center. There are golf leagues, skinned games. Members, tournaments, couples, events are available all year long. If you join at Whitmore, you also get access to the Missouri Bluffs, the Links of Dardeen, and the Golf Club of Wentzville. And the cart fees are already included in that membership. There are no food or beverage minimums, no assessments. Go out and see my friend Bummer out in the clubhouse. He is an absolute jewel and a wonderful guy that will tell you all you need to know. Or you can call Whitmore at 636-926-9622. After 25 years on the PGA Tour, Jay Delsing takes you behind the scenes from the eyes of a pro. Now back to more golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. I've got my favorite caddy and buddy, Pearly, here with me. And um, we are starting the back nine, Pearly. You know, you you finished up the uh, the front nine with some stories about some intimidation factors on tour and guys kind of gaming each other and that kind of stuff. Uh, I remember quite a bit about that uh, when you were off the tour as well, when you were, were playing some places in between tour events. Southern California comes to mind. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing that I used to do uh, is take the family out to to prep the start of the Bob Hope Classic was always the first event. And I'd prep at a little place about 45 minutes south of L.A. called Pals Ferdies. And this really crazy, I think it's a Dick, I think it's a Dick Wilson, it's, I think it's a Dick Wilson golf course, um, Pals Ferdies Country Club. And I've been to a lot of places, played a lot of courses, met a lot of members. Could, Pals Ferdies Country Club could possibly have do you remember the very first um, Star Wars movie? Yeah. Do you remember when they walked into the bar and they had like that, you know, the elephant and all, and so, like the strangest bar you ever walked into? I think Palace Verdes had some of the biggest characters of anybody in any place that I've, that I've ever been Well, to. there's no question. I knew it well because I played there. My parents lived down the road, and when I was in town, I played there. Uh, absolutely. I think, uh, didn't John Cook give you a heads up on that, as a matter of fact, about kind of watch your pocketbook when you go out there? Oh, yeah. You're right. Dr. DeAngelis, who is a dentist. No, no. Car- oh, not a chiropractor. I mean, he wasn't a, re- he was <laughs> a chiropractor. Let's, Wait let's, a second. He I just have told me he was a dentist. He, <laughs> he still, he'd, call me. he'd call me right now and go, hey, thanks. I was never a dentist. I was a chiropractor. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> Tom, Tom McClanahan, yeah. whose brother was a dentist. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's true. Okay. And they had the Babros brothers out there, which were two of the nicest, most crazy characters. And they sold ever. bird cages they to sold Kmart. Bird, they sold bird cages to Kmart. Can't make this stuff up. And they lived on the ocean selling bird cages. Oh, yeah. To this too. beautiful, yeah. beautiful area. And um, so those guys had a game. The Babros brothers had a game. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd go out there and gamble with them. And one of the things that they had that was cool, because I was always playing to a plus two or four or something like that. It was not easy. Because these guys knew what they were doing, and they were sure. It was, a, it was a, a fun golf course, but it was it had more curves and, and, and hiding, hiding places and so crazy things. So much local knowledge. <laughs> you just couldn't even. You know, it took you at least two years to figure out how to play this. You're like, oh, I hit a good shot there. Yeah, I know, but you can't keep the next putt on the green because the greens were so severe. And they they gamble. And what what played out in my favor there, folks, was that every putt had to be holed. Everybody had to be hold. That was and a great rule. It was a great rule. For any group, by the rule. way. For any now, group. Now, Dave Babros, the Babros brothers, was a good player at about eight. And Dave had this really weird idiosyncrasy that every time in the middle of your backswing, he would take his handkerchief out and go, and blow his nose in the middle was of your backswing. Was it kind of like a tick? Was that like, did he have like a tick? I don't know if it was a tick or just a little just a timely tick. Just, yeah, a timely was, tick. It, I think it was strategical <laughs> or strategery. Or uh, that's good. strategical. Is that another word we made up? I don't I, know. I knew exactly what you Let's meant. Let's go with that. And um, now his brother Joe was an absolute sweetheart. He was one of my favorites. He was a horrible golfer for a, a, a self. He wasn't a horrible. I should take that back. He was a twenty-one handicap who, or no, a twenty-six handicap who just told himself he was terrible. And mm. every once, you know, he'd pick up half the holes. And so we get on the first tee, and we're making these bets, and I'd, you know, Dave, I'm playing you for this, that's why, you know, and I'd say, yeah, let's not have, oh, I'm having a game today. I'm playing you for four, $10 four ways. And I'm like, Joe, he goes, I get to play with you. I'll pay you the 40 bucks. I'm never going to press you. And every time I played with him, he would call this my, this is your appearance money. Here's the $40 from me. Just just great. And, you know, I took it. Yeah. Especially, yeah, after, yeah I'm not surprised about especially that. Especially either. after, you know, my dad making me give back that 64 bucks when I was 14. I'm taking every single nickel. Wow, that never made an impression on you. No, not at all. So, um, oh, my gosh, we could tell stories and stories and stories about what, you know, what's happened here and what's not. But one of my favorites is on the 18th green. Playing with a guy, I know you'll remember him well. He used oh, to drive yeah. a Jaguar. He had a very wealthy guy. His name was Harold Tamasian. Attorney. An attorney. Smart guy. One of those guys, though, that just could do anything with him. He could go out and shoot 80, mm-hmm. or he could shoot 180. He had, a, like, a 21 handicap. He was getting a lot of strokes. And this is where the having to hold every putt comes out. So we're on the 18th green. All the bets are coming down to the 18th green. And Harold and his partner, Harold, Harold's partner's out of the hole. Harold's got four, 14-inch putt, bro, 14-inch mm-hmm. putt, maybe. And I think he had it, like, right in front of the green and then kind of barely yeah, got it and out and hit a bad first it, putt yes. and a bad second putt. So he needs to make this putt to cancel out, to have all the bets, all the bets. And, well, it doesn't go well for him. I believe he might have dropped an expletive or two, and as he was bent over and kind of slapping his knee, saying something, forming words again, his teeth fell out of his mouth and onto the green. <laughs> Holy Harold. So I'm standing there going, ooh. And then I started laughing. I'm like, this, no one's going to ever believe this happened. And they're like, Jeez, Harold, you got to pick up your teeth, you know, pick your teeth up and then make sure that you put your ball in. You know, they, you know, it was just, 
Oh, well, those guys, just... those guys, you know, they were never going to let you forget it. They weren't going to uh, be the least bit uh, sorry about any no. situation. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, and, and I never did play the cards. Did you ever play cards with them afterwards? Because oh, yeah. they they would absolutely state that golf was to warm up for the for the golf. No, no doubt, and the, it was speed. Games. It was speed, Jim. They played so fast, and they would just like, oh, you know, this is. It. And um, I do know this that the next time I played with that group, and Harold was in the group, there were at least three tubes. Was it denture grip, or what? You know, the boys would just would <laughs> yeah. like you said, never let them forget it. But I will tell you another interesting story about that group. I'm playing with that same group, and I go down to 13th hole, had a big Barranca Pearl down the left. It was the number one handicap hole. I hit that fairway probably once every, you know, six, eight times I played there. Happened to hit it this time, drove it way down. I hit a sand wedge into the hole for a two. Hardest or one of the hardest holes in the golf course. Absolutely. And, and there are two guys, Joe Babros and Harold Tamasian, had putts to tie me. And some of the guys said to, uh, you know, so I, I, I use that story all the time telling folks, they're like, I can't believe you come in here and fleece the members. I said, first of all, there's no fleecing going on here. Uh, I, I paid, and I didn't pay as much as I did, but there were times where I were definitely paying. And I said, if you'd like, you think this game is so easy, here's their number. Call them. They'll invite you in because... I was out here last week and I made an eagle on the on the easiest, hard, most difficult hole out there, and I had two guys with putts to tie me. So, you want to take a bite out of this sandwich, man? There's room. Come on over. That was an interesting. That is, I'm sure it still is today. I'm sure it's a whole different cast of characters, but I would guess that there's still a cast of characters up there. That's just kind of the way that place was. I agree. Remember the guy pearl that lived across the street? That every morning at like 7:30, we'd be teeing off, and his alarm sounded like a bunch of dogs barking. And I'm like, what is it? Remember, I remember playing with your dad, and I said, Mr. Pearls, what the, how many dogs does that guy have? Because that's, he doesn't have any dogs. It's, it's, that's the alarm on his house. They test it every morning, and this is a, it sounded like there were 72 dogs over there, and they were all going to attack, and they're like, that's what his alarm sounds yeah. like. Yeah, I do remember uh, obviously playing out there with you because we'd come on the weekends after, uh, at UCLA, and, uh, jump into that group and hopefully make a couple bucks. And I remember when your dad was out there and my dad, your dad, you and I, maybe the only time the four of us ever played golf. We fished and did some other things together, but maybe one of the only rounds we ever played together. Yeah, good memories there. Yeah, it was really, really special. I um, One of the other things that reason that was so cool and meaningful to go out there uh, is that, you know, when you're trying to prep to play the tour and play, get ready for tournament golf, the best way to do that is for tournaments. You know, that time of year, there weren't tournaments anywhere. And I, the girls, I wasn't going to go travel more to go to go prep. But you know what, Pearl? you got to stand over those six-foot putts. You stand over this two-foot putt, and you know how crappy the greens were out sure. there. They were bumpy. They were lots of break. It was perfect for prepping for the West Coast, for Torrey Pines, for Pebble Beach, for Riviera. All the same type of greens at Seaside Poana. Um, it was a great place to prep. And you're putting everything out, and you're, you know, you know, it's... You know how much I love getting my own $20 out of my pocket to go give to somebody else? Not <laughs> no, too no, much. No, you do not, and uh, and I agree with you. Uh, plus, there's a couple other tour players that hung out there a little bit, so you kind of see and get a feel for that uh, a bit. And I, I think there's a lot of fun, positive things about that place. Kind of a, kind of a hidden gem. Yeah, no, it, it really was. It's such fond memories. Mm-hmm. You know, I can remember, and do you remember us? You know, we'd maybe swing down to Marina Del Rey or something when we were in college, and then we'd... You know, think we just roll out with your dad the next morning. Well, your dad was, you know, like, hey, boys, get up. And I'm like, 
What? What? The, you know, it was we were up at what, oh, dark, 530, dark o'clock. Six, I mean, we teed off literally in the dark. That's just how the gig works. Yep. So we could get around in three hours yep. and 20 minutes, three and a half hours uh, with that that whole swarm of guys out there. Those are great memories. Yep. That was great memories. I can still remember your dad. You know, your dad's little kind of ratchety golf swing with man. He knew how to get his ball around the course. It was a perfect golf course for him because it wasn't long and it had all of those funky little things. And uh, and that's the way he'd play. You just put him on a kind of a traditional long golf course now and, and, and later on in his years. And he wouldn't necessarily enjoy that as much from the you know gamesmanship part. But here he he had all those little funky shots around the green. Yep, he did. He knew how to he knew how to uh, he knew how to protect that handicap, yeah. so to speak, didn't he? It was uh, it was great stuff. Um, you know, Pearl, when you think about that Southern California golf experience, and the, there's it's not an easy place to go play a lot of golf. It's like our, our college golf. I've had so many friends go, hey, I'm going to go out to Southern Cal. You know, I'll be out there for a week in business. Can you hook me up with a golf course? It's a hard place to play golf at uh, out there. I mean, it's a hard – to me, the lifestyle was kind of hard, bro. The, the, the traffic was just ridiculous. But it was a culture shock. You got two guys like you and I coming from the Midwest, and it was such a culture shock, as you mentioned, the people – the traffic, the whole thing. There was a ton of great things. I mean, our experience at UCLA was an absolute blast. We played, got to play great golf courses. That was an awful lot of fun. Uh, but again, you know, a little bit different types of greens, different conditions, uh, heavy air. Uh, there's, there's all that that was a big challenge. That that poana out there and uh, the different kind of grasses was was tough. The well, ice plant, right. the, the kakuya. Yep. Pearl, think about this too. We got a great sponsor of this show, Whitmore. 72 holes of golf. We talked about being dropped off at 6.45 in the morning, play all day. We, we, one of my bunker lessons, we talked about the practice facility out there. You got Bummer who's there. There's nothing like that in Southern California. There's nothing like that out there that's going to be, you know, that affordable. Right. That family friendly. Always a, a place to play. I mean, that's the, the whole scale. I guess, Pearl, it's probably more relative to the whole scale of Southern Cal compared to the golf in the, or life in the Midwest. Because there's just so many people. Yeah. You know, there's more golf courses, but your access to them is nil. Mm-hmm. You know, and you got great places out here that you can always find a place to play. Yeah. There's a lot of waiting around. And, you know, like we said, we're teeing off in the dark so we could get around. Uh, Torrey Pines, just south of there, you know, there's all kinds of stories about the guys sleeping in their car the night before so they can get onto the golf course. We've got it good here when we got those types of places like Whitmore uh, with the whole family. And like you and I have talked about multiple times, drop us off in the dark, pick us up in the dark, and we just go play all day long. And it was, it was a blast. And I think that's a huge part of improving your game is to truly just kind of live it out there. No question about that. Well, that'll do it for the back nine, Pearl. Uh, don't go anywhere because we're going to head to the 19th hole. This is Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Jerseyville Carpet and Furniture Gallery are a proud sponsor of Golf with Jay Delsing. They've been around since 1973, and it's been family-owned and operated the entire way. Father Danny Capps started it all. Now sons Matt and Jared are fully involved. And at Jerseyville Carpet and Furniture Gallery, they host the area's largest selection of Lazy Boy and Flex Steel Furniture. Plus, you'll find a full-service Mohawk Color Center featuring carpet, hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. Everything is professionally installed at Jerseyville Carpet and Furniture Gallery, plus easy to 
delivery and setup of new furniture however and wherever you want it. They'll also haul away all of your old furniture can't beat that deal. Going the extra mile, that's what Jerseyville Carpet and Furniture Gallery is all about. Find them online, jerseyvillecarpetfurniture.net, or call them, 618-639-9858. Most people think to get fit, you've got to be in the gym five days a week. Well, I used to think that too, but that was before I discovered 20 Minutes to Fitness. 20 Minutes to Fitness makes it possible to achieve in one 20-minute session a week what might require three hours or more a week at the gym. It reduces the time it takes to exercise by up to 90%. Their trainers can get you in shape no matter what your age or fitness level. They do it using special equipment and safe, medically-based approach. And all it takes is 20 minutes once a week. Honestly, 20 minutes once a week. Sound too good to be true? Your first session is free, so try it and see for yourself. They've got locations in Clayton and Chesterfield. To learn more, visit 20minutestofitness.com. 20 minutes to fitness. It's just 20 minutes just once a week, and it works for me. You're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. You can get involved in the show by emailing your questions and comments to jay at jdelsinggolf.com. Thanks for staying with us. We just finished 18 holes of golf, and we're headed into the 19th hole. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm here with my buddy John Perlis, and... um, you know, Pearlie, we talked a little bit about Southern Cal. Great memories. We were so fortunate. The UCLA golf team got to play Bel Air twice a week, Riviera once a week, Brentwood, Calabasas. Just great courses. Just we got to get our butts out there again and just kind of check it out. What if we call them and tell them we're coming? Open arms, you think? Ooh. Oh, I think so. You think, I think so? so? Absolutely. I've done it a couple times, and absolutely. That's uh, Eddie Marin still there. He yeah. got mentioned a couple times on uh, the last broadcast by uh, by Jim Nance, the little he pro. Sh- he sure did. And uh, what a character he is. And uh, so, yeah, good times. And we we do need to make a trip out there. And you know who's who's there with Eddie at Bel Air? Dave Potus. Dave Potus. What po- a the crazy, po- the po- great man. guy. The, the whippy swinging, sweet yep. swinging Dave Potus. He is. Yeah, good guy. He is. Yeah, a great he's. Guy. he's He's a lifer there, yeah. uh, and, and what a great place to be a lifer at. Right. I mean, just a very, very special place. And I think it's cool that they uh, uh, made a little pro emeritus uh, out there and give him the, the status. And, uh, yeah, just fantastic fond memories. So we talked a little bit about PV, great memories, and wanting to putt and putt meaningful, significant putts to try to prepare for the tour. So let's uh, the tip of the week, you guys, we're going to talk about putting. Here we are on how to improve your putting, all right? So I'm going to give you a couple of drills. I'm going to try to paint this picture as clearly as I can. Um, Pearly, this is going to be, this is going to kind of mirror. Do you remember where I had just was fed up with the inconsistency in my putting? We had identified what was wrong. I was aiming way too far left and cutting across the ball to try to get in the hole, which is an athlete's way of trying to fix a poor aim. And we literally spent hours, four four to five hours, folks, on the putting green at Pebble Beach. And that was a bumpy. And you were thinking, you might think it it was a beautiful place. We didn't have a beer with us. We it was all work, and it was it was. I look back at that as a turning point in understanding. You know what why I struggled so much with putting from time to time. When when it was good, it was good. When it was bad, it was terrible. And then it was because of the aim. So here's what we're going to talk about first of all. I'm going to go I'm going to go with this with this um part of the lesson first. Take your ball, 
let's say you're playing a Titleist. Look at the take take the uh, the ball on the side. You're gonna have your Titleist and your number on you know on each side. Put it on the side, and that's the seam of the ball where it's gonna say Pro V one on it. Let's say you got a Pro V on it. I want you to take a Sharpie and I want you to cover up that Pro V one. I want you to make a line at least an inch long. You can make it. You can make it circle the ball if you like. It's not important. But I, and I'll tell you why this is good. Why we're doing this so. And I don't want you. I want you to take that ball, and I want you to go out on the putting green, and I, I want you to aim that ball somewhere so that the stripe and the dot or the line on your putter match them each other. But I do not want you to putt to a hole. And I'll tell you why. I don't want you to have any sort of conscious thought about trying to make this putt. All I want you to try to do is roll the ball. I want to get. I want you to just roll the ball. And then what I want you to do, make your stroke, and what I want you to do is watch the stripe on the ball. First of all, match the stripe and the line of your putter up with one another, and then roll this ball. And if this ball rolls end over end with that stripe not wiggling or not varying, you have hit a very clean, square putt. And that's what we're after, folks. Square and clean. If that ball's wobbling, which I'm going to say 80%, Pearl? Yeah, it's a lot. 80%. It's hard, it's hard to do. It's really not easy to do. 80% of you guys do have that thing wobble, then we got to fix your contact. And I'm going to say of the 80%, I'm going to say 95% of that 80 are coming in with the club face two open. And the ball's going to wiggle out with a little left to right spin. So, so, you're, so generally, you're talking. They're cutting it. They're so, cutting to, it. To, they're to coming from level, the outside right. across with an open face. It's and a so, cut. And so, when you're trying to line that up, and then you're cutting it, and you're trying to make a putt, anywhere from your distance is going to be messed up. Obviously, the line's going to be messed up. Your perspective over the putt's going to get messed up. No question. And that's when all of a sudden, so, things like three footers, you think I can't even make a dang three footer, or get a twenty footer, and we're near the hole. And the whole key about putting, especially on your three foot putts, we're going to go short putting next. Is I need to be able to know where the left edge of the hole is, and be to know where the right edge of the hole is. And I need to be able to start those balls there so that the break just takes those balls into the center of the hole. So, folks, if that ball is wobbling and it looks cutty to you, that line is uh, swirling from left to right, here's what I want you to do. Take your putter back straighter, back on your backswing, and it's going to feel like it's outside to you. So more on the target line yeah, is what so you want more them to down, do. More down the line, with, and I want very little to no face rotation, meaning I want your putter to feel, it's going to feel like the putter is close to you. It's not. It's going to be square to your line, but it's going to feel closed. And then I want you to hit some putts, and I will bet my bottom dollar that that is going to straighten that line up for you immediately. All right. Now, there were, folks, there will be some of you that that doesn't work for. And it might you might have the opposite. You might be one of the few people that come into the putt, the putt, the putt with a shut putter face, very unusual, it could happen. Okay, there's a the fix is the opposite. Okay, but let's talk about the three foot and the short putts. I'm going okay. to give you a short putting drill. It's a great one. Take three balls, take six balls, whatever you're most comfortable with, and put them around in a clock or a circle around the hole. Okay, what I would recommend is getting that line. That dark, that black line on each one of those balls and having them lined up where you want these to start. Get that into, uh, build that into the habit. And then what the drill is this. So let's say we take six balls, Pearl. We got six balls around the hole. We got to make all six from three feet. And if we miss any of those, we got to start over. 
So what this does is not only does it work on um, your confidence, but it also puts you in stressful situations because I promise you, as soon as you miss and have to restart this thing once or twice, you're going to get to that six three footer and go, holy smokes, man, if I don't make this. And that's the sort of pressure you need to try to perform under. And then, depending on how hardy you are, take this thing out to four feet. You might be there all day. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. It sounds easy. It's not easy. It, this is a great drill for working on your mental aspect as well. It'll get you to focus on what you're doing. You'll have to concentrate, and you'll have to put this thing together. you got to get that ball in the hole, folks. Love it. I absolutely love that. The other thing that you're doing is it's going – once you get proficient at this drill, it is going to make your short putt so much easier because you're going to go, oh, what the heck, I just made six of these in a row. And I did it, you know, on Friday also. So it's going to build up some confidence in there. Well, bottom line is, if that confidence with the shorter ones builds, then the longer ones, which I believe you're going to talk about right now, the longer ones get a little bit easier if you know that you got a great chance of knocking in that three- or four-footer. And they're a lot harder if you think there's not a chance outside of two feet. Exactly. So we're going to talk about this and how this plays on itself. So if you're a cutter of the putt, and you cut your, your putts, you're going to get a 30-foot putt, and you're going to swing this thing that's going to make you feel like this ball's going to roll 30 feet. But if you're putting this left to right spin on it, what happens, folks, because we have seen these in the new uh, high-speed high and high-powered cameras now, the ball actually becomes airborne, and it's almost like a punt in football. It goes in the air, and it has backspin on it, just like your other shots. And when it hits the ground, it catches. And sometimes it has X amount of spin on it, and sometimes it has X plus 5 amount of spin on it. And there goes your distance control. So work on this in the progression that I've told you. Get your line on the ball and putt. And once you get that that ball rolling tightly with that line on it, go to your three- and four-foot putting drills. And then go to this drill. And then here's here's what these putts, these, these are two of the best long putting drills I know. I do these all the time. This one's my favorite. Go through your pre-shot routine. If you don't have a pre-shot routine, get one. Don't ever try to Is just... Is there a guy on the tour that doesn't no, have a pre-shot routine? not even close. Not There's even not close. a guy on the web.com tour. There's not a guy on on the uh, PGA Tour of China that doesn't... They all have. It's, you it's, know, and what's cool about the pre-shot routine is you have to work on it a little bit, but once you have it, it's not like something... Like the wind's going to distract it. Like you're having a bad day, going to distract it. It is something you have complete control of over to set yourself up. They do talk about it a little bit when you watch golf on TV, but I think they need to talk a lot more, or more importantly, hopefully, uh, your listeners plug into this because this is a big deal to make you a better pl- a better putter, regardless of your stroke. You want to start thinking about something when you go to putt? Think about your pre-shot routine. Quit thinking about the putt. Oh no, I got to take two looks and go. I'm lined up. I just—that's what you want to be thinking about. So, folks, get do your pre-shot routine. You got a 30-foot putt. Do not ever, ever, ever not try to make your 30-foot putt. Forget that three-foot circle, all that crap. No, we're trying to hold every single putt. That doesn't mean knock it 10 feet by because if it's going to go 10 feet by, it's not, not going to go in the hole. Yep. That's not what I mean. Putt to make the putt. It's a mentality. It is definitely a state of mind. And go through your pre-shed routine. And as soon as you're ready to fire, so you look at the hole, you come back to the ball. As soon as you're ready to fire, close your eyes. Putt and keep your eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Folks, if you've got the yips, if you've got anything, first of all, if you have the yips, work on your aim. 
That's what this line lines are for. This will help so much because this will absolutely clear out your head of all thinking. Because when you shut your eyes, it is dark and it is a mental freak out. And there is nothing in your mind except I might not even hit this ball. And that Interesting. Interesting. is it, Pearl. It completely short circuits all the thinking, and all you're left with is feel. Now think about this for a minute. So I'm putting here. I got this 30 foot putt. I know where the hole is. Know what I want to do. I close my eyes and I hit it. And all of a sudden, what are you focused on, Pearl? You're focused on that contact between the putter head and the ball, and that's all that you have. And now you're going to say, and I'm I'm going to tell you, do not look up. Judge what happened by that feel. You want your feel to improve? Judge what happened by that feel and go, oh, man, I didn't hit that hard enough, and I hit it on the toe. You're going to be – it's going to open your eyes and ears and senses to what putting's really about. Nice. It's really about feel. take away one of the senses, the sight – and, and it, allow the others to plug in. All of a sudden, you start listening for yeah. contact of the ball. You yeah. start feeling it in a totally different level. And then the last one that you can do for the long putting drills is instead of closing your eyes, after you close your eyes a little bit, do your pre-shot routine, get ready to fire, and then just look at the hole. Like Jordan Spieth you know, does on some of his short putting and stuff that like that. That one makes me nervous. What, what's good about that one? Again, it does. It gets you not thinking about your stroke. Okay, doing something you know, else. You're yeah. not looking. You're not. It's, it's the equivalent of... Your eyes closed, except your eyes aren't closed. You're yeah. looking somewhere else. I've I've tried both, and yeah, yeah I, I would definitely personally stick with the eyes closed. I think you can stay in position and keep your head where you want it to be. The other one, I because I love the way it kind of cuts down that and and helps your other senses plug in and get ready for a freakout for yeah. sure when sure. you cut right because sure. you, you well, might if hear you're, a if you're yipping and cutting, you're kind of freaking out anyway. So there's not a heck of a lot that you're putting on the line here, other than getting yourself to start plugging in and making some putts. Which, by the way. You make one or two, all of a sudden it can change pretty quick on how you feel, what you feel about your putting. It absolutely can. And folks, if you've, if you're yippy with the putter, and you're the problem, the reason why you're yippy is your aim is off. And Agreed. when you were younger, when you were younger, you didn't care about, you didn't care about controlling things, you didn't care about a little. Oh, I'm going to open this. I'm going to not get your putter on a line in your bathroom and on tile on the green. Anywhere you want, put a line on the green, get a club on the green, get one of those aiming rods on the green, and aim that thing straight and you'll, and start putting, and you're going to realize, huh, well, yeah, I'm opening this blade at impact because I'm aiming so far left. As an athlete, the only way I can make this putt, Pearl, is to open the blade and kind of slice it in there. I know we're going to talk about this another time, but just what is your routine? My routine is I, I, I decide what the what the break is going to do, what this thing looks like. I get over the ball, get myself set. I take one practice stroke, look at the hole, um, putter behind the ball, look up at the hole, back to the ball, fire. And it takes all of about 10 or 12 seconds. Beautiful. And, uh, man, this show just flew by. There goes the 19th hole. I'm not sure if I even tasted my cocktail today. <laughs> That's okay. It's still sitting in front of you. Thanks for um, spending the time with me, Pearl, this morning. It was uh, fantastic, as always. Big Sis, thanks for working the board and getting us through another show. And um, please keep writing us at uh, J at jdelsingolf.com. That's J-A-Y at J-A-Y-D-E-L-S-I-N-G-G-O-L-F dot com. And 
Hit them straight, St. Louis. That was Golf with Jay Delsing, brought to you by Whitmore Country Club. Tune in next Sunday from 7 to 8 for more from Jay, John, and the other pros and experts from the golf world. In the meantime, you can find all of Jay's shows at 101ESPN.com as well as at jdelsinggolf.com.